Welcome, I'm Richard Prosh, and this is another edition of Six Gun Justice Conversations. These are regular short episodes where my co-host, Paul Bishop, or I get to hang out around the virtual Six Gun Justice Campfire and spend some time talking with friends who work in the Western genre. With me for this edition is best-selling author and screenwriter C. Courtney Joyner. Courtney has over 25 produced movies to his credit, including the cult film Prison starring Viggo Mortensen, a graduate of USC, and a teenage extra in George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Courtney's first movie was The Offspring starring the legendary Vincent Price. He's worked in television with movies for CBS, the USA Network, Showtime, and the Sci-Fi Channel. He's also a Western writer and enthusiast, having created the Shotgun series for Pinnacle Books. Courtney's Western short fiction has appeared in a variety of anthologies, and it's where I first saw his name. I'm happy our schedules worked together today so Court and I could catch up. Thanks for reining in under the virtual campfire today, Court. Thank you, Rich. From that introduction, you can't see me, but I'm blushing. (laughs) Uh, It's all well-deserved. You've got a really productive career. Please tell us a little bit about your enthusiasm for the West. How did you come to write and publish Western-themed work? Well, you know, it's kind of funny. I don't know anyone who's so heavily into Westerns and loves the West as you do and as Paul does. And we're also kind of entrenched with another genre, both reading and watching film, whether it's horror, which there's a big crossover there, or film or noir or hard-boiled detective or whatever it is. In my case, I first came to Western movies, quite honestly, because I was eight or nine years old and pursuing any movie that had Lon Chaney Jr. in it. So that was how I actually saw High Noon for the first time, you know, the Indian fighter and all these things. And two, growing up in the pre-video ages, when something like The Good, The Bad, The Ugly was on the ABC Sunday Night Movie, or The Magnificent Seven was on NBC, it was a real event. They turned it into the thing to do for that week. I always would get very excited, and that was kind of my intro. And the very first novel, or I should say adult novel I ever read, was a dog-eared paperback of Valdez's Coming. I was probably 11 or 12 years old. You're right. There's so much crossover between crime fiction and Western fiction. A lot of the B-movie actors of those days would cross over and you'd catch a glimpse of them. And the writers, Elmore Leonard, whether High Noon in Detroit or 52 Pickup or Last Stand at Saber River and Ombre, those are his two worlds. When did you first think about creating your own Western adventures? When I joined the Western Writers of America, I had actually tried once and they turned me down because I really didn't have the credentials. And I tried again because I'd done an awful lot of writing about Western movies. I'd had a number of magazine articles published and I had written chapters in books, including a biography of Lon Chaney Jr. where I wrote about all of his Western films. I was finishing up a book called The Westerners for McFarland. Because I knew Warren Oates and I got to know Sam Peckinpah and Don Siegel and all these guys when I was in college, I kind of made it my business to get to know them. And they were kind enough to sit down with me and do interviews and all that stuff. So I was finally in the Western Writers of America only because of the nonfiction I had written. And I met so many people like Matt Mayo and Larry Swayze and Bill Gulick, who was terrific to me, and Gary Goldstein, of course, at the conventions who encouraged me to start writing fiction. And I was very lucky, but it was really through Matt that I was included in a short story collection called A Fistful of Legends. 
And that was maybe the second or third short story I'd ever written in my life. And I got into that collection. And then Gary invited me into one called uh, Law of the Gun, which, oh my gosh, I had Lauren Esselman was in there and Andy Fennedy and John Jakes. And I submitted a story and it became the anchor story of that collection. And I think that was, honestly, I believe the fourth or fifth short story I'd ever written ever. That's great. I remember both of those collections. In fact, I remember the first one, The Fistful of Legends, was the first time in my working in Westerns that Meridian Bridge, the name of my blog, was on the back cover because I reviewed it. You wrote an article for True West, I believe, on Wildest Westerns magazine. Was that in True West? Yes, it was. Wildest Westerns was a great mag. Short-lived, though, right? Very short-lived. And, of course, growing up in that era of the monster boom, which you try and make anyone now understand, when I was 10... I was either seeing Boris Karloff or the Beatles. They were like these cultural phenomena. I mean, it was incredible. So Famous Monsters of Filmland, of course, was a huge part of my growing up. And then all the other Warren magazines, naturally the Creepy and Eerie and Vampirella and all that stuff. But Warren himself was expanding into other genres and very specifically with the Westerns, with Wildest Westerns, and also serials with Screen Thrills Illustrated. Oh, yeah. And that was how I was introduced to so many of those because they weren't running on television very frequently. I was like, wow, I've heard of Johnny Mac Brown, but I'd never seen any of his movies. I'd heard of Hoot Gibson, of course, and you see these pictures in these magazines, but I had no idea what one of his films was like because they weren't available. I mentioned to Paul one time on this podcast that there were basically three ways that I could hope to ever see those movies, and that was either on TV, as you mentioned, a movie of the week, or some collector would have the film, or there would be a review somewhere in a city, but that would be in a bigger city. You know, you'd have to go and hopefully they'd have a review on a Saturday afternoon or something. Oh, absolutely. That was it. And of course, too, certainly during the 60s, growing up to actually see anything from a serial, that was impossible. And we live in Philadelphia and then Pittsburgh. And so, again, this is all pre-VHS. I saw Captain Marvel for the very first time because I saved up my pennies and bought one of the Ken Films 200-foot silent Super 8 editions of wow. Captain Marvel versus the Scorpion. I ended up being kind of a Super 8 collector, but that was the way that you saw it. I can't see Frankenstein meets the Wolfman as many times as I'd like until I ordered probably from the back of Wildest Westerns, you know, from the Captain Company, the Castle Films eight-minute condensation with subtitles, and I got to watch all this stuff on my bedroom wall. You seem pretty much at home equally writing fiction, nonfiction, and screenplays. Do you have a favorite of those? Or does it bounce back and forth? It does, I think, bounce back and forth. The only problem I have is sometimes you have to kind of really change gears because the process is different and your approach to at least what you're putting down on paper, as you know, is decidedly different because, of course, with a screenplay, you don't have the freedom of language and all that stuff because everything has to be compressed. Your adjective use is severely <laughs> truncated. Let's put it that way. But I've had great fun with that only in that if I come up with an idea, I can, you know, where does it fit? I thought of an idea. Is it good for a movie? Is it better for a short story, a novel? Is it good for a graphic novel or maybe a comic presentation or something? And I've been very lucky because I've worked in all those forms. You kind of have a, you know, which slot does it go into or does it go into all of them or 
you know, in some cases, none of them. Right, right. And some of them do have some pretty strict formats that you have to follow sometimes, so they do fit better somewhere else. Um, oh, absolutely. Now, your bio lists you with another job that I think is really intriguing, and that's a commenter on an impressive number of DVD and Blu-ray movies, including some Westerns like Stagecoach and Rawhide, Annie Oakley, Doc. How did you get into that, and how does it work to be a commentator on DVDs? I was always yapping about movies so much. Back at, at USC, I actually did a few documentaries for classes. I did one for a Western class about Sam Peckinpah, and I got Sam involved and Warren Oates and L.Q. Jones and everybody, and that was great. And they were very kind to me. So I was always kind of that guy talking about movies and stuff. And a friend of mine from college started to do uh, special features for Blu-rays. And he had done a lot of work on the James Bond series. And then he got the opportunity from 20th Century Fox to do The Big Trail. And he called me up and asked me if I'd like to go on camera and talk about Raoul Walsh. So that was really the first thing. I'd done a few, you know, interview pieces and video presentations and things like that. But that was the first time I really got the chance to talk about other films. And then not too long after that, I was asked by Bill Lustig if I would be interested in doing some spaghetti Western commentaries, which I did with Henry Park. And then it just kind of exploded from there. I just did Seven Sinners, the John Wayne Marlena Dietrich film, uh, the Tay Garnett directed. I just recorded that last week, and I think that puts me like 125 times I've done this, either in front wow. of the camera or, yeah, I'm sitting there yakking away. Do you sit down and watch the movie and take notes beforehand? How does it work? What are the mechanics of actually doing that? It depends on what the requirements are. If I'm going in front of the camera, and I've also now started to produce a number of these, as a rule, what you're doing is you're talking about usually a specific aspect of whatever movie it is. I work very often with a fellow named Dan Griffith of Ballyhoo Pictures, and we did a documentary on the recent release of American Werewolf in London, which was not easy because there's been so much material about that film. But what we decided to do was a documentary short about all the Universal Studios werewolf films going back to 1913. No one had ever covered that stuff. That was the focus of my research. And then we got other people in, you know, John Landis and everybody else to talk, of course, about the Wolfman and all of that stuff. You know, that was the case there. Very rarely been asked to do a commentary on a movie I'm not really familiar with. So if it's been a while, you sit, sit down, you refresh yourself and what have you. And then there are just certain things you want to hit. Like when we did the Stagecoach, the Alex Cord version that Gordon Douglas directed, I invited Henry Park to do that one with me. And we watched the film. And then we just kind of decide among ourselves, okay, I'm going to talk about Gordon Douglas. Henry wanted to talk about Alex Cord and, and Margaret. Then we just kind of you know, have our filmic conversation jumping back and forth. And it's always better, at least for me, to do it with another person so there can be an actual conversation. So much better if you've invited someone who has a connection with the movie. I did a commentary on uh, Culpepper Cattle Company, and I asked Bo Hopkins, and Bo did it with me, and it was fantastic. All I did was light the fuse, and Bo 
was having a ball because he, in fact, had not seen the movie in like 25 years. Oh, that's terrific. It was great. All these memories came flooding back and it had so much more interest and so much more than someone like me who's just going to sit there and give basically like an editorial overview of the work. Here's the guy who actually did the work. So I love it when that happens. There's a real organic back and forth then that can happen. Oh, absolutely. To switch gears here and talk about your prose a little bit, you've written quite a bit of fiction, I would say prominently with the shotgun novels. Where did the shotgun novels come from? Well, that actually started kind of an odd way. I was um, working on a movie project with the director, John Flynn, who uh, was just a terrific guy. And he had made a movie called Rolling Thunder with William Devane. And if you remember the movie, that's a film where Devane gets his hand ground off in a garbage disposal. He goes after the guys. Yeah, Luke Askew and James Best. It is the nastiest performance James Best has ever given. And he is awesome in that movie. We were having lunch one day and I told him, I said, you know what? I think Rolling Thunder would make a great Western. And John sat up and goes, oh, wow, Curtis, why don't you write it? So, of course, nothing happened. We were working on our own thing and John passed away. But I'd always kind of had that idea. I really wanted to see if I couldn't crack the Western market, particularly at the time I was looking at it. You remember, Rich, when there were actually were kind of what they used to call the book factory companies? Yes. Where they would literally, yes, commission this company to go ahead and supply titles for, you know, whatever the publishers required, whether it was long arm or, you know, whatever it might be. And I was trying to find a way into that, was failing miserably. And I just thought this idea of this one-armed guy with a shotgun for an arm would, would be great fun. And I kept thinking about like Tony Anthony and the Stranger Returns and those kinds of Euro Westerns. And so I went ahead and uh, decided to do it as a uh, graphic novel. Oh, that's interesting. Got together with a terrific artist who was recommended by a friend of mine who was, he was very old school. He was actually doing the uh, Spider-Man newspaper strip. We did five pages of art. Beautiful. I mapped out Tyre, I believe, like the first 20 issues and everything else. And I ran around at Comic-Con showing it to people and everything else. Had very little luck because, you know, Westerns weren't selling. They weren't the thing at that time. And this was before or the re-explosion of Jonah Hex and all these things. So it just went on the shelf. And finally, Gary Goldstein was the one. He said, look, Quentin Tarantino's Django was about to come out. Gary and I were talking about it. He said, I want to try something that would maybe attract a slightly different readership than we're getting with some of the other Kensington titles. You know, of course, that was the William Johnstones were the tentpole. And so I told him about Shotgun and I gave him all this stuff, the comic book pages and everything else. He was so generous in taking it. And then he asked me, do you have a copy of the script to Django Unchained? And I did. So I sent that to him also, a PDF. And I guess Gary walked into the board meeting and said, gentlemen, we need to kind of change things up a little bit. And this is it. So he threw Django Unchained on the table and then he threw all of the comic book art and everything else for Shotgun. And about two days later, I had my contract for my first two books. Oh, wow. Super. That's a great story. I had never written a novel in my life. You did a terrific job. That's a fantastic debut for you. Oh, well, you're very kind, but I was scared to death. No clue what I was doing. Of course, I couldn't admit it to anybody, which was, in retrospect, silly and foolish. But suddenly there I was right in the thick of it. But it was great fun. The freedom to do something like that on the page, as you know, is exhilarating. And you get to really travel with your words and characters take you places that you hadn't expected. Exactly. Yeah, they really do. They'd come to life. 
Now, your latest is a nonfiction book of Western portraits, uh, I think 85 photographs that you put together. Can you tell us about that? What's the name of the book and what's it all about? This is a book that was really the pet project of the director, Steve Carver, who Lone Wolf McQuaid and all the great you know, action films, Big Bad Mama and Pone. And I've known Steve for a very long time. And he is a really superb photographer. And about 20 some odd years ago, he had started taking photographs of character actors that he worked with and that he knew well, like LQ Jones and R.G. Armstrong. But what he was doing is he was doing the photographs with timed exposure exactly the way it was done in the 1880s. So those materials and plated film and all of that stuff so that these images, even though they were of actors, literally came at you as if it was a picture from 200 years ago. And he'd gotten about, I'd say about 15 or 20 together over the years. And he was doing it off and on because it was really more of like a weekend project. R.G. Armstrong and some of the other folks had encouraged him to put it together as a book. And so he called me. I looked at the images, which absolutely knocked me out. And he said, I want to do this thing. And would you write the text? We continued. It took a few years. And uh, he took an additional 60 some odd photographs, probably a little bit more. We whittled it down to 85. I wrote the profiles of every actor's career and then also a section in the book about the importance of character actors in Western movies. And it came out as a coffee table book last Christmas and is done extraordinarily well. Steve took the pictures and I wrote about 100,000 words. It's stunning. Just a wonderful, I think, tribute to their careers. Sadly, it has become a little bit of a memorial piece because the process did take a while and David Carradine on the cover passed away. I'm really proud because it turned out so well. And the support, we had our launch at the Autry Museum. We got 50 of the signers to come. They all wanted to be there to support this thing. And of course, the audience and everything. I mean, it was an absolute mob scene for this book of photographs of character people. And we were also very lucky because since we came out at Christmas time and Steve and I did a number of signings and we'd always bring the actors with us. And so we always did very well because people were buying it as a Christmas present. And we always heard, oh my God, my dad made me watch Gunsmoke growing up. They were just gushing over everybody they got to meet because of the book. And so we did very well. That's terrific. Courtney, can you tell us the title again? It's called Western Portraits, Unsung Heroes and Villains of the Silver Screen. All right. Well, that's about the time limit here today, Court. It's been great having you as a guest. Sure appreciate it and wish you all the best of luck in the future. Well, thank you, Rich, very much. You know me, if we're sitting here with a couple of beers, this would be the first podcast that went on for 11 hours. (laughs) I hear you. Thanks to C. Courtney Joyner for hanging out and chatting today. As always, a hearty thank you to our sponsors, Wolfpack Publishing, author Chris Enns, and the Western Writers of America for making this podcast possible. And thanks to you for listening. Paul and I appreciate your support of our Six Gun Justice podcast and hope you continue to enjoy each and every episode. Be sure to check our website, www.sixgunjustice.com, for links to previous podcast episodes, speed listens, and prior conversations along with reviews, interviews, and articles from the Western genre. Till next time, keep the sun at your back and a good horse at hand. Let's ride.